CPH Village – How to Redefine Sustainable Living in Copenhagen Hi, my name is Marcin Wojciech Żebrowski and this is the newest episode of Herbcast, my podcast about urbanism, architecture, cities and many more. Welcome to the newest episode in which we will discuss the sustainable living in Copenhagen. My guest today is Frederik Noltinius Busk, who is the co-founder and director at CPH Village, a company that creates sustainable and affordable living spaces in Copenhagen. CPH Village aims to offer 2,500 homes in the next five years and promote sustainable living through social, environmental and economical sustainability. They work with circular buildings and have a team of professionals with various roles within architecture, design, economics and also sustainability. We will discuss CPH Village's process for developing temporary housing on transformation sites, strategies for using spaces effectively and creating a sustainable brand and business model. If you are a student looking for accommodation in Copenhagen, or not only that, I think that this episode will be especially interesting for you. Welcome to the newest conversation with Frederick, and I hope that you will enjoy listening to it as much as we enjoyed recording it. Frederick, it's amazing to have you here. Thank you for coming to Herbcast. Thank you for inviting. It's a privilege. I'm so happy because like, I managed to learn about your work a bit. We are discussing the CPH Village, which is a very, very interesting initiative here in, in Copenhagen. But interestingly, as far as I know, you don't have any background with architecture. No. Could you elaborate how, how did you get into designing and, and developing such an interesting housing concept without this this background. Yes, I come from a background of political science mm. and uh, I cannot start uh, this <laughs> podcast without mentioning my uh, my co-founder of CPH Village, Michael Plesner, whom I met at university mm. where we were part of uh, like a student climate movement mm. uh, that we uh, kind of founded. And this is back in 2007. Mm. So uh, climate weren't really on the agenda back then, but we found it very uh, necessary and we just found like the very theoretical books that we read just completely irrelevant because there was big problems out in the world that we needed to face and we didn't tackle them at all in our education. So instead we were like, okay, let's do something. Mm. We'll make a climate movement <laughs> and then like we'll change the curricula here at university and we'll put solar cells up on the buildings and transformation of society will start right here. Then like super naive, of course. And you did it before Greta Thunberg was around. <laughs> yes. Many years before. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Imagine if she had been there back then <laughs> with her, all her skills. Uh, Teaming well, up with you, helping yeah. you out a bit with the... I think we would very <laughs> fastly have just uh, helped her out. Uh, but no, no. So that's actually where all this started. So it came from a uh, background of of big interest in in uh, climate change and and all the effects it has on society and then both Michael and I have since worked with trying to make this transition of society towards uh, sustainability 
in all diff all sorts of different arenas uh, mm. and organizations. So everything from the Danish Parliament to the UN to big corporations yeah. to like small NGOs to also civil society movements again stuff and we did this all the way from 2007 to 2014 where we teamed up again and the the th reason that why we teamed up was that we just got fired the both of us <laughs> <laughs> that's always a good reason to start something new <laughs> exactly exactly so basically i'll get back to that but we were at the point of nothing left to lose the both of us but we also wanted to make like a concrete change because we've been part of bureaucracies we've been part of power hierarchies we've been part of all sorts of things that slowed change both of us felt like there was just so much talk and so little action so we should, both of us like always have been very action oriented so we're like okay we need to do something ourselves we'll most likely fuck up <laughs> but at least we'll try and then actually we uh we just came up with the idea that we wanted to make a business which at its core had to solve societal problems and for us at that point the most pressing problem was climate change so that was basically where all this started just wanting to form a business that solved societal problems a political scientist and an economist with no knowledge <laughs> really no design knowledge maybe i can no. assume that you had a pretty big amount of knowledge if it comes to start something up maybe the design knowledge wasn't there but i think that with time you also developed this skill set or at least you you have people around that are talented uh, designers and architects so you can push it forward and develop new projects and new cph villages can you say something more about the the idea behind the CPH village, because Copenhagen is to me a good example of a very demanding, a very difficult housing market, mm. especially if you are a newcomer or someone moving in from abroad, you are just faced with this extremely, extremely expensive, but also maybe hard to understand market in a way. Mm. And I know that Copenhagen is not the only city with facing such problems, but in general, like housing, I would say is, is such a big challenge. And some say that maybe it's a challenge that can't be solved. I mean, housing on its own, the housing mm. challenge, mm. because it's like mm. so difficult and so many forces mm -hmm. around it. But you did it. You tried to, to tackle the challenge or like just started doing that. So can you just say something more about this? So our whole venture started with, um, with us asking a few questions, which was just really nagging us. Because when we uh, then back in 2014, we uh, rented a desk out at Refshaleuin, the farthest end. It was super cheap, no heating, but close to a fireplace. So it kept us warm. Just for those who are not from Copenhagen, yeah. the Refshaleuin is like a part of Copenhagen, oh, yeah, good. which is going through a big transformation, right? It, it yeah. used to be like a, a big industrial plant Exactly. It was site. the biggest uh, workplace in, mm. in, in, in all of Denmark. It was a giant shipyard. Yes. And this wow. was like back in 2014, it was like a Mad Max uh, <laughs> scenario, just old industrial. And then a few, a lot of uh, like weirdos running around doing crazy projects. But every day, well, like in, in Copenhagen, you bike, right? And every day we biked out there, we just saw so much idle land just laying around, like hundred thousands of square meters of idle land. And we were just biking past that every day. And we came up to our desk and we were like trying to figure out, okay, 
what this business we need to focus, we need to figure out what it's about. And we were having this like just observation. And then at the same time, we could see that the whole building sector like had so many things facing them, which was also just nagging us. Like the CO2 footprint is so big. Like why isn't anybody talking about this? Yeah. Like the lack of innovation is unbelievable. Mm. Like none improvements in effectivity, at least in Denmark for 25 years, prices rising all the time. Like what the fuck is going on here? So these two things, like we started connecting the dots here and we were like, yeah. okay, this land here, like this is waste. Unused land is the waste. Either it should be like a flourishing nature or people should work here or live here. Like just idle with asphalt doesn't make any mm. sense. So that was like our basic point of going into this problem. And then we, we learned, of course, that this land, it has to be used at some point. And then we just thought like the solution is so obvious in the sense that, of course, we should build here and, and think of city development much more effectively and much more dynamically. Because, of course, the future is circular. We knew that for decades. Of course, yeah. the economy needs to be circular. So houses need to be able to be disassembled. Mm. That's a given. We already know that. Also, we know that the future is uncertain. We don't know how cities are going to look just five years ahead, like 10 years ahead. And also, the, all the stuff that we don't know, we don't know. <laughs> yeah. So let's try building in a way where we accept all this uncertainty mm. in terms of placement and also in terms of what the, the buildings should be able to do. And maybe also the buildings should be able to move at some point or, or whatever. So that was what led us into this idea of, okay, let's take a building site and let's build here just right now. Mm. And at some point, maybe there's going to be grand plans to build something else. And then these buildings are, will be able to transform in a way where we can still apply them at the site or somewhere else or for something that we haven't figured out right now because mm. we don't know the future. You started in the Reifskalun, the, the part of, of Copenhagen that we've mentioned, and you started with some kind of a container housing, right? Yeah. Where did this idea come from? Was it mostly because of the price? So basically like such a housing, like container housing would, would be just cheaper to, to develop or were there some other reasons for that as well? Two reasons. Uh, first was upcycling. Mm. Just again, thinking in terms of circular economy. So, so thinking of the resources and the building materials as something very precious and valuable. The other thing is with the container, we knew it could be moved. So it just had the two things that was going for it. Then it had a lot of shortcomings and people <laughs> kept telling us like, this is, there's so many people who have thought into this and it's such a hassle to build with. It's horrible in terms of insulation and moisture and all these things. And mm. we were like, not architects, as I told you. So we were like, <laughs> let us make our own mistakes here. We, we're going this direction. And uh, we also at that point thought, okay, containers are kind of cool. Maybe this will be like a little thing, PR thing for us that'll, that'll help us. So 
it had a few reasons uh, yeah. for us doing this. But first and foremost, it was just to get started. And we needed to build something that wasn't on the market because the only like dynamic structure that was out there was like working huts, mm. which obviously isn't good enough for people to live in. Mm. It doesn't have the proper standard. So we had to build something where people could foresee, okay, this actually might be good enough for people to live in. And it also has these extra qualities. So that was our first idea of show it, don't mm. tell it. We knew that pretty fastly. Fuck the PowerPoints, fuck the grand visions, show it, and then have people engage in it and mm. start this conversation within the business industry and, uh, and all the other stakeholders, the public domain mm. about what this is and also help people show us all the shortcomings mm. because this will be the only way we can improve. So it started out with that and we built a few demo models out at Revselling. Yourself, without the, the architecture background. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. At this point, we had fantastically another architectural agency from mm. Copenhagen, Ben Kunsten, mm. which is known for like they, they take an interest in sustainability and social and collective housing, it helped us pro bono. So All it right. actually ended up looking kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> And you were lucky. We, uh, yeah, and then like we're poor as fuck. So but we had our girlfriend help us and we slept on sofas and uh we had and then we had some cool contractors come in and help us also for a cheap price. And we got the first demo models built. And then we could start the conversation about thinking about architecture in a new way and mm. thinking about buildings in a new way. And and then we again we wanted to solve social problems. We think this is a way for businesses to be legitimate, but also the way for businesses to make money in the long run, mm. that they actually help yeah. <laughs> society. It doesn't good, cause good, new... Good idea. Good idea, <laughs> which is for some reason kind of rare. Yeah. <laughs> so we started focusing on student housing because that was a big issue in Copenhagen, mm. getting student housing, which was affordable. Was the idea from the very beginning that it's temporary? The idea from the very beginning was that we knew we wouldn't get a permanent location because that would mean that we had to buy the land. And there was different issues with that. One, the landowner wasn't interested in selling mm. because the price would be much higher in the future. And two, we didn't have the money. <laughs> so the whole idea from the get-go was to rent the land and then find a way to build, which was dynamic because... The word temporary, of course, it's the location might be temporary, but the ways of thinking about the buildings and the city isn't like binary, either it's there or it's not there. Mm. Like we have to think much more in terms of like an organism, which is constantly developing with its surroundings. So yeah, we started out having like a 10 year period where we could be out there. It took a lot of effort uh, <laughs> to get to that point because at some point we figured out Uh, or we learned that our business plan was uh, actually illegal because <laughs> we couldn't stay in these areas for 10 years, which we needed to make the, the business like sustainable mm. in terms of getting in uh, rents from people in uh, over 10 years. Uh, so then we were like, okay, fuck. We used a couple of years on this, all our savings and all this shit. And we owe so much money in the bank. But then, okay, now we got too far. And then we just went full throttle on changing the law in Denmark that made it possible. And that is, this is actually the method we always work in is like, if you want to make a sustainable transition and a sustainable change, 
you need to engage all the stakeholders which would have a say in this. Mm. And you need to find these points where everybody can actually win. Mm. So we like, we gathered the students, we gathered the building industry, we gathered the uh, unions, we gathered uh, on a national level and all the politicians and parliament and stuff. And we were like, okay, can we like jointly formulate the way we can do this where we don't cause new problems, but it's actually a win-win-win. And we did that. And that was fantastic, actually, that it was possible. And people were so constructive. And then we got the law changed. And that made it possible to get started with an actual settlement in 2018. It sounds so easy when you say that you couldn't do it because of the law, so you just changed the law. <laughs> well, that is the amazing thing in this is actually that if is the experience that if you actually believe that it is that there is some sort of common sense out there and people would like to change problems if you gather them in a room then it's actually possible to do it and there's like a logic going on all around the table so that was pretty cool and we experienced many times Mm. since actually i heard of a similar example probably known to you the rooftop garden which is called Österkro here in Copenhagen. And I also heard that they've been struggling for so long with the legislation to get a permit to build a garden on the roof mm. because of the heavy weight and so on. And it took so much time for them, but they were like pushing hard. And then eventually they got the permit and the solution was very simple at the end and they didn't know it for a long time. So I think that this kind of the willingness to push, I think that's something That is a characteristic of of successful projects and also in your case. And speaking of the success, when was the turning point, the moment that you realized, yes, it's working. We are getting more attention. We are maybe getting the first tenants. And we can say that at least in some extent, we have the success. This time we've been going on about this for like three, four years and mm. stuff. And there's been a lot of writings in the press and architectural media and Danish newspapers and uh, Danish television about this idea. And people love new ideas, right? <laughs> Especially when it's like poor people standing here, <laughs> like desperate. Uh, <laughs> then we we got the law passed and we, we got financing for our first settlement, our first village. And then we launched that you could sign up on the homepage. When was that? This is back in 2017. Mm. And in one week, we had 3,000 signups. And then we knew, okay, something here is right. There's a demand out there. How many do you expect? Did you have a number? In- uh, not at all. <laughs> not at all. We had no clue. Yeah, We had no clue. We knew there was a need out there. And we knew that the price that we put out was a lot cheaper than what was out on the private market, mm. which is our, like, if we don't do that, we have no purpose because mm. then we don't solve any problems. So that we knew that and we knew our buildings were different and the way we emphasize community, which I guess we'll talk about later, mm. is different. So we knew we had something which was different at least, yeah. but we didn't expect uh, that at all. 3,000 in a week, that's just crazy. That's a big number, but again, shows the, the big uh, shortage of housing or especially affordable housing in cities like Copenhagen. You've mentioned that the community, and this is something that exactly I would like to talk about now, because I'm wondering what are those unique features of CPH Village? So in, in other words, as a student or as someone who's interested in finding housing in a Copenhagen, 
why should I prefer your solution over some other solutions? There's a few things that makes us at least unique. Mm. And one thing is that our locations are pretty cool because we are in these areas of the city center, which isn't really developed yet. Mm. And that means that we are kind of like the pioneers in these new areas. So we have a lot of space. We have a lot of space around our villages where you just feel you're not cramped. You feel like you have space. And also, this also means that I think people feel more creative in the sense of shaping their surroundings. So that is another unique feature of ours is that we actually put a lot of faith in the people who live with us and tell them, you just go nuts. Like, our settlements, our villages are never done in the sense that, okay, now the architect has finished their drawings as it's been built and now it's <laughs> perfect. Now, like, because it's never done. The reality changed, times change and people change. And of course, this, the, the village, we like with 100% certainty did stupid things in the design. And of course, that will also be changed in time by us as, as owners and operators, but also the people living there, they should conquer it. They should make uh, gardens. They should uh, paint murals. They should make workout stations or put up swings or build a sauna as they have done or mm. greenhouses, whatever. Like, I think that's unique for us is that people can actually shape their surroundings as if they owned it, but they are just renters. And this is to also the third feature, which is that we have a big emphasis on community as something which is not like forced, but which is an offer that we hope people will join in as much as they, they want to. Because um, one thing is that all surveys and all, all data show that if you are having a good relationship with your neighbors and you feel part of a community, your well-being is likely higher. Mm. So that's just like, let's facilitate that and then people can hopefully feel inclined to be a part of a community. Maybe some people would like to do events or be part of events many times a week and sit in the community spaces that we have designed and stuff and the outdoor spaces. Maybe someone would like to join once mm. a month. But just to create that opportunity where we are actually actively engaged in facilitating the community. So helping the people who live with us to do stuff. Mm. for each other and also if in dead periods to do stuff just for people to join mm. for instance there's there's always yoga or there's always a community dinner or there's always a few big events in the year where mm. we are the initiators just to make sure things happen and then from then on we just push 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 help 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 for the people who live there to take ownership and create stuff mm. And I think that is radically different than what other people do out there. Mm. I would say either people are doing nothing or people are treating people living with them as like just someone who would like full service as in a hotel. There's not a lot in between yeah. where you just treat people as people and give them the, the you try at least, and of course you fuck up again, but <laughs> you try to give them a place where they can like uh, shape their own mm. every day, also collectively.
I'm wondering about the branding itself, because it seems like you you now, after many years and many fuck-ups, have created a strong brand behind CPH Village. So it has the attention, it has the interest from, from tenants and not only. But how much of this brand building was a conscious decision and how much of that was you know, partly a coincidence or something that you actually didn't control that much? I'd say it was a, a pretty deliberate decision. Mm. Our business plan has been to, in the first stage here, has to been built 10 villages. Mm. So right now we just opened number four here in Copenhagen. And the idea has been that it's after 10 tries that we might know if we have something which is good for the rest of the world. And what we are striving towards is figuring out a way to live, which is good for people and good for the planet. Meaning, building within the planetary boundaries and people have a higher satisfaction with life living with us compared to the rest of the city. So we're just constantly practicing. And the only way we can do this properly is to control the entire value chain. So we have, and, and this is kind of unique as well, we have all the chains, all the, from you sign up on the, our homepage and all the way to when you move out, you only meet our company and everything you see in between behind the scenes, things getting built, things getting operated, things getting uh, maintained, the whole marketing, everything is done by our own organization. Mm. And this is for us to learn. We don't want to miss any data. We don't want to miss any learnings because otherwise we'll minimize our chances mm. of, of creating what is our vision. So in that sense, what we are doing, <laughs> everything is done by us. So that is why, and I'm really glad to, I, I feel you say that it seems like a good brand in mm. the sense that it, it seems like it fits everything. It's very deliberate in that sense. That mm. is how we work. Mm. I think it just makes you curious, like when you walk around CPH Village, it might be the first one in Hefshalun or maybe the new ones that you just built. And I know that the second or the third one was not a container housing, but uh, but in wood. So it just, I feel like it makes you curious, just like when you walk around and you just want to just get in and like, like you know, touch the materials and and look a bit closer at, at things. So in that case, and also if it comes to online and internet, it feels like there's this um, good vibe around the project. So I was just curious about the the process of the brand creation for such a project and also how do you attract people? Because one thing that I like to mention in my conversations recently is the, is the sense of comfort that mm -hmm. basically our comfort got so, so big. Like, I mean, so stretched that mm -hmm. we just, we are using so many resources and we are mm. using everything to just increase our comfort almost like without any end. But contrary, living in a container housing might not be the most comfortable in a way because it's small. It's, uh, mm. it's also, as you said, like there are some problems with insulation and so on. So how do you make advantage of such a thing? Because like, I feel it's also about decreasing your comfort in a way to increase other values, like for example, mm. community. Mm. And you've also mentioned that your tenants are the most happy ones, even though they are probably living on a smaller surface with smaller square yeah, meters. Yeah, for sure. I think there's a few things that Michael, my co-founder, and I wanted to address from the get-go. It is that unless we reformulate 
the understanding of comfort and uh, challenge it with concrete examples, we are caught in this Sisyphus task of trying to figure out how to get new building materials to make us live in the same way and stuff. We knew it was impossible from the get-go, mm. this idea of relative sustainability, because science just have backed this for decades and decades. So we knew we had to radically change the perception of what is the good home and what is the good life. And we believe that the amount of square meters you live in as a person doesn't correlate with how happy you are. Mm. Of course, you need to not live in a container, which was our first effort in the sense that that's not scalable. That was a bad idea. But there were some features there, which was, I believe, worthwhile working on, which was live in less private space and get access to more shared space. Accept that your home or embrace that your home is not just the little confine where you have your own private key, but it's actually, in our case, the whole village, but also the rest of the city. See it as actually yours as a citizen and engage in it and let the city engage where you live. For us, the whole idea of that comfort has to do with everyone having these and these material goods, these and these amount of square meters that you live in, these and these. We were just being very pragmatic saying, this is not backed by science at all. That's one thing. And two, that's not ecologically viable. It doesn't add up in a finite, in a planet with finite resources. And also, we can't afford it unless it only has to be the rich people who live in mm. the city. So we need to figure out to live in less space. And values are plastic. Like, we can change our perception of the good life if we want. So that has been like the complete premise of, mm. of the project. Also, if you go to our homepage, our slogan is live simply. And that means, of course, live in a simple manner, but also just what is living, like to challenge that societal perception. Mm. And the tenants, the people you basically direct your offer to, are they mostly students? Are they only students? Or We are expanding our target group right now. So we had to start with students because of uh, the permits that we could get. But now we are so lucky that we get access just to more money. Mm. <laughs> so we don't have to rent land necessarily. We can also buy land and that gives us access to all <laughs> normal permits where we can build for all target groups. And that is what interests us, is to figure out a way where everyone can live in the city in a sustainable manner, which is better for them. So we're just so excited that we can start building for other target groups, other like target groups. What does that mean? Yeah. But just people yeah. in all sorts of walks of life. Right? Yeah. Yeah. To summarize, what would be your one biggest learning through the whole process since you started and you said that you had this urge to challenge kind of the, the status quo mm. and say, come on, we shouldn't do it like this until now when you've just built the fourth village, mm. the biggest learning. I'd say the biggest learning is, is still like show it, don't tell it, don't make big plans. It's nice to sketch out a big plan, but you have to show it straight away and learn from your mistakes and make a plan where you actually accept 
that you're going to fuck up and sketch out a plan where you can learn from these mistakes. And then this has been a really nice conversation because I haven't badmouthed anyone. But there's so much frustration deep within me engaging in this industry, which we stumbled into by mm. mistake, where the way people do it right now, also now we sit in Henning Larsen's offices and like there's just so many problems with reinventing the shape again and again. Mm. Like for me, the function, of course, is the most necessary thing. Yeah. Where, And then we'll figure out the shape afterwards. Like <laughs> it's designing from the inside and out and designing, like we didn't talk about that, but all our design is based on the user's feedback. So we collect data all the time and ask people who live with us what works, what doesn't work. And that's, of course, what we design by all the time. Not what our lovely architects think would be the most beautiful <laughs> shapes or what they think this is how people will move in the landscape and this. How do you know? Like, <laughs> you don't know shit about that. <laughs> like, so, and, and you don't know if this shape is going to be beautiful yeah. in 50 years, most likely. So, so that is, that is something where I think there's, but this in the whole industry, there needs to be so much change. But I think accepting uncertainty and, and building just with more humility, like, of course, accepting planetary boundaries mm. would help a lot. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But that's why I'm, I'm happy that you joined and share this thought because like you are on this like very steep learning curve process now and, and it's just inspiring to listen. You are not that big yet in terms of like manpower. So, or so to say employees, it's around 20 people now. Mm. But you've started just two of you with Michael. So it's like a pretty big growth. And I'm, of course, aware that there are some challenges and things that annoy you. And of course, even though our conversation was so far, maybe more positive and inspiring, I hope, <laughs> of course, there is a need to, to discuss some, some challenges. So would you say that the one would be that there is need for a change of thinking also with the bigger players? They constantly talk about like there's a need for more cross-sector conversation and stuff. But the whole value chain and the, all the business models from the big players in the industry isn't thought in terms of cycles where you learn and it's one-offs all the time. Also, of course, then there's an organization in the different, like some places where it's shareholders, and they think very short-term mm. uh, in some companies. And then there's other companies like yours where it's partner-owned or it was before you got taken over, which yeah. also have great problems. Yeah, yeah there's, there's a lot of issues in the industry. But I think the main issue might not be that some of the players aren't willing to engage like in other parts of the value chain. For instance, mm. why isn't architects developers? Like you know so much about this. Mm. Now you have joined up with an engineering company, which I find really interesting actually. Mm. But like, why not try to take your knowledge into the other spheres? I thought that would think that would be really interesting. That's also a, a big question. Uh, I would love to to discuss that, but I think that we would need uh, another episode yeah, or maybe yeah, two. Yeah. So just to conclude this one, I would just, I'm really interested to hear your opinion. What do you think that will be the big influence? What would be the, the big future trend in sustainable living? Is it less owning and more sharing? Yeah, I think so. In terms of sharing at least public space, if we don't start living in fewer square meters, 
we are fucked in very many ways. I see a transition happening, at least here in Denmark, but it's going way too slow. And there's so much like just people thinking with their backbone and not looking at data. I think just logically the future trend will be to live in way fewer private square meters Mm. because that would allow more affordable rent, a radically lower environmental footprint, and you having more time by yourself (laughs) to do what you want in life. (laughs) Not just working Mm. uh, to get money for rent, but maybe you want to work all the time. Good for you, but maybe (laughs) you don't. (laughs) So I think there's a lot of very interesting here things here we could unfold. If So I hope and think this is the trend. I feel like this conversation was much about learnings and to get one more learning towards the end of this conversation, could you recommend a book related to the topic? I actually have, I have two, if that's okay. all right. That's all right. Okay. So the first book is uh, written by an author that I've, uh, I've followed and read for a few decades also. It's an English author called George Monbiot. He's also a journalist. His latest book is called Regenesis. And it's about how we think about our land. He is an environmentalist and has also been an activist. And basically, he says the only way we can prevent global warming is if we radically rewild our land and we change the way that we uh, farm so we can get all this land uh, rewilded. That also means that we need to move into our cities in a much higher degree and we need to leave the land for wilding, sucking up CO2. And I think that vision, which is, again, it's just based on data. Like Mm. we are fucked. We're not even close to reaching the goals in in the Paris Accord. So instead of like having all these, again, tech fixes and crazy ideas, this we know photosynthesis works. <laughs> we know how to suck out CO2 and also the soil can do quite a bit by itself, not just the plants. This is an extremely interesting book in terms of this is actually a positive vision for how life on earth could look. Mm. You live in cities. With other people, yes, it has shortcomings, also have benefits. And then the whole land is just wild and beautiful. I think that's a super positive vision that I love and which I, I think all, all our work in terms of city development and stuff in, in that frame. The other book I would recommend is a so-called Cli-Fi novel by Kim Stanley Robinson, which is called Ministry of the Future, which is a book that takes place a few decades out where climate change has really happened. Mm. It's just a fantastic way to describe the consequences and also like uh, the people who try to do something about it. How, for instance, the climate movement is getting radicalized, there's eco-terror, but also scientists trying to do like radical solutions in Antarctica by putting nuclear reactors down there to suck up the glacier water so the big ice caps doesn't flow out and the sea rise and like all but he's so clever Hmm. and he thinks the whole UN system into it and global governance and then it's just such a fantastic book it's really eye-opening in many ways yeah so that's the two I would recommend 
Thank you. I mean, this is this is truly inspiring. Maybe not that uplifting with the second book. <laughs> <laughs> well, then it ends. It ends. It ends out. Uh, oh, I can't spoil it. Yeah, fuck it. No one will read it anyway. <laughs> but uh, it ends on a positive note. I'd say. Actually, I I think some people will will read it. I often get messages from people thanking me for the book recommendations. They should, of course, uh, thank my guests. But I'm also the one often buying them. Ah. Those that people recommend. So. I might be at least the one that, that will try to read it. Frederick, I wanted just to say I'm very thankful that we managed to meet and thank you for sharing your message behind CPH Village. I just need to say that I'm keeping my fingers crossed thank for you. the thank development. You. And, and as you said, the, the goal is to test out 10 villages. Yeah. So it's still six more. Six more. To go. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm wishing you luck on this, on this journey. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to the newest episode with Frederick, one of the co-founders of the CPH Village operating here in Copenhagen. And if you would like to get something more about the idea, feel free to reach out to Frederick or just to visit the CPH Village website. I will add all the links in the episode description and as well, I will add the links to the books recommended by Frederick. Thank you and talk to you soon.